Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Corinne Ninja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Ninja, and this podcast is where I share people's incredible stories of recovery from chronic diseases such as type 2 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, heart disease, and so many others. Please go back and look at the episodes before now if this is your first time listening because there is lupus, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, there is fibromyalgia, endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome. There are just asthma. There are so many episodes. There's one for every single person that you know who has some kind of chronic disease, which is pretty much all of us. So please go back, have a listen. Even if you find me irritating, their guest stories are really worth it if you can just put up with me. (laughs) So today is different and I'm just going to launch straight into the episode, I think. But before I do that, if you want to join my Facebook group, Plant-Based and Thriving, I would love to have you there. I always forget to mention it, but it's there. If you need it, if you need more ongoing support, it's a, a group that I post in fairly regularly. Sometimes I post videos there. There's recipes, just a whole backlog of awesomeness in the group. And I would love if you wanted to join and introduce yourself because I think Facebook groups have a tendency to get very little participation. So if you are a member, just chat away, post your dinner, post your recipes. Really, let's make it more engaging and interactive because it shouldn't just be me chatting away, even though obviously I like the sound of my own voice or I wouldn't host a podcast. But yeah, I would love to have you in the group chatting away, sharing your experience, sharing your story, posting your recipes, posting your ideas, thoughts, struggles, whatever, and create some kind of wonderful community because that's the whole purpose of it. So it's there for everyone and I would love to have you and welcome you over to Plant-Based and Thriving on Facebook and obviously you can follow me at Corinne Nidja everywhere on social media and please share these episodes with your family and friends because that's the way this message is going to get out to the masses and the whole world can then become whole food plant-based, healthy people who are doing an amazing thing for the animals and the planet. All right, so this guest is a secret and I'm about to announce it as we go live. So enjoy. Bye. So, as I said in the introduction already, this is a bit of a new and interesting pivot for the podcast. It's it's not really a pivot because it's still we're still talking about whole food plant-based eating and we're still talking about veganism and living well. But this guest is my husband Ranjit, and so we're both a bit nervous, but he has had his own whole food plant-based journey and and transformation, which is which is ongoing. I think as many of ours is ongoing as we learn to tweak and change and alter and improve ourselves and our eating plans as we as we move forward. So I don't I didn't really know how we didn't both really didn't really know how to begin this because you've heard my story. If you haven't, it's episode thirty six of the podcast, and it is quite a gr- grueling recount of my own personal history of illness, chronic disease and recovery. So that's all there. But I guess this is just a new light having Ranjit here. He edits this podcast, if you weren't aware of that. And so he's listened to 
every single one of the 80, well now 84 episodes that are out there of this podcast. And and so has a very different, like I guess a very special viewpoint of the podcast and of the guests that come on this show and of this podcast journey in itself. And yeah, I wanted him to come on the show to talk about his own his own health improvements, but also just to kind of familiarise you all with him because he's such an important and extremely important part of my life and without him this podcast wouldn't exist because I am not someone who's going to sit down and edit a podcast the way he does, as meticulously as he does, and make sure it sounds as good as what it does. So you can all thank him in the comments to the show notes because he's the reason why this podcast exists. Without him, it it wouldn't. So you can never die or leave me. (laughs) (laughs) So without further ado, hello, Ranjit. Hi. Hi. I had the startling realisation on the way here that I will have to sit here and listen to my own voice while I edit this. And that was confronting. I was worried that that might be an issue. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully it's not a deal breaker for editing this one. Yes, so Rinji is the yin to my yang, as you will discover. He is much more of an introverted, non-chatty, non-loud talking person in our marriage, which I think makes a beautiful partnership and balance. But what do you think? No, I think it does. I don't know how we'd cope if we were both super loud and extroverted. I'd feel sorry for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> They'd probably be mute. That's true. Oh. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. And even though it's very awkward to have you right beside me, staring at me, judging my every word, mm-hmm. and knowing that you're going to have to edit everything that I'm saying. But... I guess to start at the start of your story. Okay. I... Of health and whole food plant-based, just just how your life's been. Okay. I was pretty unwell as a child for most of primary school, maybe from about grade one or maybe grade two, probably until I was about 16. I was sort of overweight and unhealthy and frequent colds and coughs and flus and I think I was diagnosed with well chronic fatigue syndrome somewhere along the way but I think that was more of a we don't know what else to call it but in retrospect I think a lot of it was poor diet and so around when I was around 16 I started eating well I also because you were homeschooled a lot well in your primary school years compared to your average like you were you weren't just off occasionally off school. You were off school for large chunks. Yeah, no, I missed a lot of school between grade two and grade seven, I think. Year seven was when I probably got more consistent attendance. How was that with friends? Surprisingly okay. I had friends throughout that whole period of time and socialised and was... I don't know. It wasn't really much of an issue, I don't think. I think it's because you're just beautiful human that everyone <laughs> just loves to be around. Maybe. There's <laughs> a quality over quantity. Exactly. And so when I was about 16, I think puberty, adolescence combined with a 
better diet while still not perfect. Uh, I lost a lot of weight and sort of just generally became more healthy. But even still, I would have frequent colds and coughs and flus and viruses. And then when I was about 20, I developed hay fever that wasn't necessarily as perennial hay fever that after lots of testing and doctor's appointments sort of turned out to be allergies to particular grasses and dust, which is difficult to avoid. And that's been pretty debilitating for most of my 20s. But when I first met you, I pretty much, you, he was just, he just wasn't without a hanky. He was like a hanky man. And I remember going to like techno parties with Rimji and he never would dance. He would stand at the back. And any type of movement that looked almost like dancing would just be him reaching for a hanky out of his pocket <laughs> to blow his nose. You were literally had felt like you had hay fever endlessly. No. That's I, how it felt. I did pretty much. I've regularly... And antihistamines, like every day. Virtually, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes more, you know, I think you're supposed to take one a day. I'd take four or five and super strong ones with pseudoephedrine in them, just anything to try and get some sort of relief. And that was for most of my, nearly my whole 20s, it was like that. So even though I'd lost weight, which I guess post-25 started to creep back on. We got love, we, got, we fell in love and we gained some chubs. <laughs> we gained some chubs. <laughs> Having lost some weight in my late teens, early 20s, it all started creeping back on sort of about post-25. And so whilst I wasn't, I was definitely less, I was more healthy than I was as a young kid. I guess I still wasn't as healthy as I possibly could be. And so I think it was about when Corinne started becoming whole food plant-based about six years ago, she, well, she wanted our kids to be vegan and be in a vegan household, which I was fine with. Well, uh, I went vegan in 2008 and then just progressively made it more strict to whole food plant-based. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So I, I guess... I went, oh, sorry. I went vegan when Iggy was born and I went yeah. plant-based, sorry, in 2008 with a multiple, overcoming multiple sclerosis diet. That's right. So most throughout that time, I guess when I cooked for Corinne, I made things that were appropriate for her diet, but I often made whatever. I made other food in the house that wasn't vegan at all. And whenever we were out of the house, I didn't eat vegan food, really. Why were you so... support? A lot of, a lot of people, partners, aren't supportive when they want to make the change to a plant-based diet. What... What do you think made you feel so, made you want to be so supportive of me doing it and for me raising our kids that way? For you personally, I just like you and love you <laughs> and want to support you where I can. So it didn't seem like that big a deal and it wasn't like I was ever making food that I didn't like. Mm. Uh, and as for the kids, I, whilst I was felt unable to make the change myself at the time, I completely understood that it was a positive step to take and that our kids would probably benefit from it immensely. So I was more than happy to have them going on that path. I remember that you were eating at home. When Iggy was a baby, you were still eating meat, cheese, 
all of those things. Yeah, for the first couple of years. And then, and you were eating that when you were out because you weren't at all, at all vegan. And I remember when I went vegan, it was a huge issue. How was it for you in that time when I made that switch to go from being, you know, plant-based, still eating seafood, still eating egg whites for my health and then making the switch to be vegan for the animals? It was definitely, it still wasn't affecting me so much. So it wasn't such a big deal for me. But I guess you became more vocal about wanting others to be on this same path as you, specifically me. <laughs> <laughs> So that was different. I think when you would have when you were making diet changes for your own health, it was less to do with me or had less of an effect on me. Yeah, I remember it being hard, and I'm sorry that I, I I don't know. I think most new vegans that first couple of years, some people it goes forever, but for me especially, and I, I guess it goes in waves as well. Sometimes I feel fine about it, and then like last night, I just saw this horrendous video of these slaughterhouse just slaughtering these adorable baby cow, baby calves, just throwing them on the conveyor belt and stabbing them in the neck, and when you see that footage, you're just desperate, you know, you're desperate for the planet to hurry up because that just is just broke my heart into a thousand pieces. And I know when I first went vegan, I just thought that once I told you what was happening, because I wasn't aware, once I told you what was happening, that you would, being the loving, amazing man that I know you to be, that you would immediately go, oh, yes, you're right, that sounds horrendous. I'm not going to eat, participate in animal agriculture ever again because I'm a loving, empathetic human being. But it wasn't that simple. No. And uh, this isn't a shame thing. This is just, it's, it's just, it's not like we want it to be really black and white. Often vegans do. Like, you know, if you know this information, you should True. change. And, and I have friends who are vegan who would say only a sociopath would. Sorry, everyone, I'm talking, I'm talking about the <laughs> hashtag militant vegans. But, I mean, it, it does feel that way sometimes. You can feel that way. Like, how could you not be a sociopath and continue to support an industry that is so violent and cruel to sentient beings? But I do think it's more complicated is what I'm trying to say. And so I do think that you had to come at it at your own time and find your own reasons and transform yourself into a vegan however that was going to be in your own way yeah well i think having... i couldn't shove it in your face no to get you to do it like i tried you, you did you did and <laughs> i'm sorry i i guess it's a combination of factors the general sense of apathy that's ingrained into a lot of western society in regards to where thinking about where food comes from was definitely a big factor for me. Corinne's grown up on farms and around animals a lot more than I have. It was still a bit abstract for me and there's a lot of conditioning, societal conditioning there that is difficult to break away from and selfishness of liking a lot of food than caring about food a lot and enjoying it. We were huge foodies. That was like what our whole relationship was based around. <laughs> uh, Kissing and eating. 
Yeah, well, then having so many, so many of my favourite foods all involved animals in some way. So it was, I guess it was selfish as well, and it's a big, it's a big change, and making big change is scary and confronting in any circumstance. So I think I found the concept of that overwhelming, and I guess there's a sense of finality as well. If you never going, you're never going to eat these things ever again, and I just, it was just all too much. I think, mm. initially at least. One thing just then, that you point that you made to me, which I ha- had, I don't think about enough, but Channel 7 has some interview coming up or a, well, basically it's just trying to slam vegans, but they're trying to say that it's, no, that's not, I don't think they're even trying to say that it's not trying to slam vegans. They're just talking about the war, vegan war against meat eaters and how they're trying to take up they're trying to take away our Aussie barbecue way of life and militant vegans and whatever and I was thinking you know when I responded to that segment on online because I was just frustrated seeing them portray us like we're militant and warmongers when the vegan movement to me is only about compassion kindness and love and peace for everyone and you can't have peace on earth if you're participating in the the murder and suffering and exploitation of others. Um, but your point is so important because I think that so many people say, you know, these people are trespassing on these properties, you know, these, these activists are going onto these farms, these protesters are going into these places that, that should be safe and free, people should be able to eat whatever they want and these people are going in and filming but they're filming because of people like you who've never seen these farms. And most people live in urban environments. They've never seen these farms. They've never seen the suffering of these animals. And so, of course, you can be apathetic. So I think it's really what you said is such a, you know, when people are saying, oh, you have to be a sociopath not to go vegan once you know about it. I can talk about it all day, but until you've been to those farms and those activists, they do such an incredible, incredible selfless job in getting that footage out to the everyday urban dwelling people who've never seen those animals suffering, who've never seen what it's like to be inside a slaughterhouse, who've never seen what it's like for animals on factory farms or any farms. My parents were small scale farmers and I I can't I love them, so I don't want to talk about the violence, but there's the kickings in the head, the pushings over, the shovings of the animals, the, the you know, what's the, the banding of the sheep's testicles, you know, the, the tails getting cut off, the, you know, the breeding, the, the sending them off to slaughter, the I love you, I love my animals, but I'm also looking forward to the check that I get when you're fat enough for us to kill. That's every farm. That's not. That's, that's farmers who love their animals, happy farms, small family farms, any farm that is a dairy farm, a chicken farm, a pig farm. If it's got 10 pigs or 5,000 head of cattle, every sing- and if they're patting them and they've named them all Sally, Betty, Daisy, Dorothy, they're all still checks at the end of the day to feed that family and to line their wallets. And so... You can't love someone and know that in a couple of years you're going to pay for them to be slaughtered and profit from their slaughter. I just wanted to say that because 
I think I've never actually thought about that when you said you'd never you'd never been exposed to that before, but I'd never really thought about exactly. I've thought about it, but never really put two and two together about the impact of the footage that the activists put out for people like you. You're their target market. Mm, that's true. Been on a huge, huge tangent, but I just thought it was really important. <laughs> if you're listening, I hope that that was valuable information to you. If you've wondered why people want to go into those farms and trespass and get that footage, this is why people like Ranjit. Ranjit, mm. where were we? You had allergies all of your 20s. Then I went vegan and then I went whole food plant based. And I think we had a conversation then because Iggy was about two and he kept asking what you were eating mm. and it was sending conflicting messages. How did it feel for you when I would say dad's eating <laughs> pieces of dead chicken? <laughs> no, it was definitely confronting and made me feel uncomfortable and I realised that it, I didn't like the uh, level of, I guess, hypocrisy between what I was saying and doing by supporting Corinne in raising our kids vegan but then not adhering to it myself and it was just a weird conflicting message to be sending and that was... And I just thought it's just going to get worse and worse as time goes on. And whilst I completely agree, whilst maybe I wasn't at the place mentally or within myself to go vegan, I felt like being around my kids when they would progressively feel more and more yuck, I guess. Mm. One, just one little joke story was, I may have mentioned it in one, episode, one of the episodes previously, but once Iggy, Renji, Iggy was still in that stage where he was mispronouncing a lot of words and he said, what's daddy eating? And I said, he's eating chicken. And um, Iggy said, pigeon. <laughs> and I laughed so hard. Literally until he was six, he would call anything that was non-vegan if it was cheese if it was you know dairy of any kind if it was meat if it was honey whatever he would say is daddy eating pigeon or is that pigeon and i'd be like nobody it's never pigeon it's just not vegan but he just took so long for him to get the vegan and that pigeon wasn't I don't know why it took mm. so long. But now he'll say, Mum, I know that it's not pigeon. I know that it's vegan. But I just keep saying it because it's so cute. So then what happened then? So over time with the household becoming progressively more and more vegan, I guess that was probably quite a oh, that was an overnight thing really. But over time we decided that everything in the house would be vegan and so if I wanted to eat things that weren't vegan, I did do so out of the house. And then I guess just because of the issue of the mixed messages with the kids, I more often than not if I did eat something non-vegan out of the house, it wasn't around Corinne and the kids. Well, it was just hard because, you know, you're their, you're, you're their role model and you're there eating halloumi and bacon yeah, and, absolutely. And, and I'm that's... saying that that's animal pieces and parts and animals that are our friends and they want to live. And Daddy's just chowing down on them. Uh, it wasn't a really clear message, and I think that that became an issue for both of us. I didn't. I wanted to, you know, for multiple sclerosis, 
it's worse in boys. It's more likely that they develop it if they're in the same family, someone with multiple sclerosis and that they eat the same food as the parents with multiple sclerosis and respond to stress the same way and get the same amount of sunshine and all those things. So I was very concerned with making sure our sons ate a whole food plant-based diet and if one of us wasn't doing that, it felt like I was kind of pushing shit uphill in that sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why it was quite easy for me to go along with that and support you in that and make the changes in the household without really worrying about it too much. And so we've done that for several years, I think. I can't remember exactly when that would have been. I reckon it was probably about five years ago now, close to five years ago. So for five years... The house has been vegan. The house has been vegan and I pretty much would eat 80 to 90% of the food. For the first couple of years, 80 to 90% of the food that I ate in my life was at home. So 80 to 90% of the time I ate vegan, but not whole food plant-based and still used oil and fats a lot. And then over time, I guess I slowly started eating more whole food plant-based Food, but still with oil, and I think the percentage of the food that I ate out of the house probably got less again, so it was down to about 5 to 10% of the food that I ate wasn't inside the house, so it was that was 5 to 10% of my diet wasn't vegan. And then about two years ago, I think it probably got down to about 5%, and with a lot of whole food plant-based food and I think I was maybe starting to get into removing oil and fat from my diet and from my cooking. That was hard. Oil is the hardest, I think, for lots of people. I guess salt's very hard. Oil, salt and sugar, or SOS is what the (laughs) the thing is on the internet, the acronym on the internet. Oil was definitely the hardest, but it was the thing I think that both of us noticed the greatest shift in. Yeah, I think... Our health. As well, not the greatest, not the greatest. I mean, that was that, that was more the shift in the weight loss. I think that the the whole food plant, this veganism and whole food plant base, helped me in so many different health aspects. But in the weight loss, the fat, the fat you eat is the fat you wear. I definitely started to reduce my oil in cooking, but oil intake. But it was about in January. Well, I know exactly when it was. It was late January last year. I decided to try being fully vegan when I was out of the house. I was away for a few days and thought I'd try it then. And a few days turned into a week, into a month, and just sort of kept going and seeing how long I could handle doing it for. And now and you weren't calling yourself vegan. You were just like, I'm just seeing how this goes. Yeah, no, I was very much just road testing it and wasn't really committing to it, just sort of seeing how long I could tolerate it for because I think one of the big stumbling blocks for me for a while was that I didn't know, I didn't think I'd be able to cope being vegan, but if I didn't try, I'd never know. And that sort of cycle of all that, not knowing kept me in this cycle of not actually trying. And so I did try and it was fine. And I pretty quickly started to notice that I was losing weight. And I think as well, I was then consciously trying to eat as much whole food, plant-based food as I could and got a lot more militant about leaving oil out of cooking and 
reducing the amount of fat that I was eating where possible. And within not very long, I started losing weight after really trying to lose weight and sometimes achieving that and sometimes not through pretty much any diet or means that I could over the past eight years or so. So can you talk a bit, a little bit about that? Because you went up to, for you, you've got a really slight frame. So for you, you went up to how was it, what, what was your heaviest? Uh, the heaviest I was was probably about 93, 94 kilograms. Which was a lot on your frame. Yeah. at the When I think about how much I weigh now, how much I'd weighed maybe five years before that, it seems crazy that I weighed that much ever. But I did, and it sort of just was a gradual thing. I wasn't really noticing. Trying, trying to gain. <laughs> I wasn't trying to gain weight. And... So my heaviest I was about 93, but after going on some, I'd managed to get that back down to around a homeostasis of, well, somewhere between maybe 75 and 85. So I like, think it was around 80, 83 was well, con- constant for a while. Yeah, for the last few years, it was around between 80 and 85, mm. somewhere floating around mm. there. But you starved yourself. You went on a 500-calorie-a-day starvation, low, no-carb, horse-urine diet, didn't you? Yeah, that was in 2000, late 2011, oh, early 2012, actually. This was a naturopath-recommended diet. I'm sure she's a nice lady, but the horse urine isn't like a horse. It's, it's made the to- what's the what's it's the H- HCG HCG, which you liquid. It, it was a homeopathic, but it's made from pregnant mare's urine. Yeah, and so that was... we're not vegan. Hashtag not vegan. No, and that was to help with the low calorie. I think it was the the idea was to retrain your body into using fat as the primary fuel source for your body. So it's like a ketogenic diet, really. Basically, yeah. But was, before, it was before bef- ketogenic became a thing. Before ketogenic was a thing. It was psychotic. I remember that you went vegan and the two days before you started that, you she said, just eat as much calories as possible. And I remember you ate KFC, <laughs> which is disgusting. I remember watching you eat it. And I think I was, no, I wasn't, was I vegan? I think I was... Maybe. No, I don't think you were. Just but Iggy was alive. Yeah, but you didn't go vegan until like after that months. first Christmas. Yeah. Anyway, I remember being repulsed at you eating that. Was it, you ate like lots of shit like that that day, uh, those two days. Yeah, well, I it, ate a lot of high-calorie food, just like the naturopath told me to do. <laughs> oh, gosh, it was so disgusting. <laughs> I think I've told this story a million times, but I love telling it because it's so gross about KFC. I used to jog this same circuit every single day when Iggy was a baby with the running pram. And I, along the circuit, someone had dumped like a box of KFC. So the whole pieces, those whole drumsticks, which if you're a hardcore vegan like I can be, it, it, alone, it's like it's, a, it's an animal's body parts are just discarded on the ground. But um, it was gross KFC, but they were perfectly formed drumsticks and there was probably seven of them on the on the side of the footpath and on the footpath. And I ran that same circuit for literally three months and they never looked any different. They didn't mould. No, no animals, no rats, no crows, 
Nothing came and scavenged those chicken pieces. Nothing wanted them. Like nothing wanted them. And humans eat that shit. It really turned me off KFC. Like they didn't decay. I could have rinsed them off, microwaved them and fed them to you, (laughs) Rinjit. And you would have been none the wiser. It was disgusting. They were still fine. The only thing that happened was eventually they just got kicked around so that they left. But they didn't decay. Anyway, don't eat KFC because the rats don't even want it. And they eat anything. Okay, so you tried all different kinds of weight loss starvation diets. Yeah, and some worked more than others. And so I definitely lost, I never quite got back up to the heights that I did prior to starting different weight loss things, but I'd never sort of been able to consistently keep weight off without some serious effort on my part or feeling like I was depriving myself or drinking horse urine. Yeah, or exercising lots. And so when I started when I started eating whole food plant-based properly about 14 months ago, it wasn't particularly difficult, I think, because I'd had that slow transition to getting down to about 90 or about 5% non-vegan food prior. I think if I'd gone mm. from 100% overnight, I would have found it much more difficult, but it was a pretty minor adjustment to go the whole way. And so pretty quickly I started losing weight and now after 14 months I went from about 85 kilograms to about 72 at the moment and I don't really feel like I'm done losing weight, which is pretty cool. I think I've still got more to go and I feel a lot better just in general. I've got a lot more energy than I've had and I don't really sleep a whole lot because of kids and trying to make music late into the night, nearly every night. And so for how little sleep I have, I feel like I should be a lot more tired than I am. If mm. I was getting full night's sleep every night, I imagine I'd have way more energy, but I think I've got a pretty good amount for how little I end up sleeping a lot of the time. And my allergy problems that I've had for pretty much the, my entire 20s have all but disappeared. I've gone from taking multiple antihistamines a day pretty much all year to having all my antihistamine medication be out of date and thrown in the bin because I never use it anymore, uh, which is just incredible. It's so incredible. I'm so happy for you because it was debilitating. Yeah, absolutely. Hay fever doesn't sound like that big a deal, but when it's so bad that I'm either basically unable to do anything from the hay fever itself or so completely incapacitated by how much antihistamines I've taken in a desperate effort to try and relieve the symptoms. It was, and this was most of the time all year, it was, yeah, it was a lot to try and deal with. And so to not have that being part of my life anymore is amazing. And then on top of that, I've gone from having pretty regular colds and flus. My friends are always making fun of me for, ah, uh, you know, he's sick again. Ah, uh, what a surprise. He's got another cold. But in the past 14 months, I think I've been properly sick once or twice and re- really superficially or really briefly, uh, which is amazing for me. My whole life I've really struggled with the frequency and severity of colds and flus and viruses and since going whole food plant-based, it's 
been a huge turnaround. I've had barely anything, and what I have had's been super brief and not so much of an inconvenience. It's such a. It seems like compared to you know we've had so many guests who've like. You know, Joyce Hale, my goodness, you know, who've gone from debilitating lupus, having a jaw replaced out of a rib. And, you know, there's been Kate McGoy-Smith who was blind. But, I mean, it's all relative. And I think that for you, your transformation has still been fairly life-changing for you. Oh, definitely. To To have a reprieve from the hay fever allergy symptoms that I've had for so long and then also to have such great energy levels and being so much less susceptible to colds and flus and things like that going around, it's really made a huge impact in Mm. my quality of life, I think. And it's interesting because you, like many guests on the show, you barely exercised prior to going whole food plant-based and now you're pretty into fitness yeah i exercise more consistently now than i ever have and am more interested in exercising now i think the diet and the exercise really work together really well in feeding into each other and encouraging you to continue both to the highest level you can i think if i hadn't lost some weight i'd find it more difficult to exercise and then Having being able to exercise more has helped me lose more weight and they just feed into each other and encourage me to keep doing both. Now, obviously, I love I love that you're exercising because now we get to go for runs. Well, I like to go for runs. He likes to go for walks. And Steve Hill, you know, he likes to do the 1,000 steps here, which is like the Kokoda Trail training in the, mount, in the hills here. And it's a beautiful, beautiful walk and you do that in the darkness in the morning with the lyre birds and the rabbits and the wallabies and the echidnas and all those wonderful things, which I miss out on because I'm at home with the kids. But I do like when we get to exercise now that you're keen with me and you also do your HIIT workouts twice a day, which I've really transformed your body on like a totally different level. Mm, I don't think I'd be as keen if I hadn't lost, and again, if I hadn't lost the weight I through the diet... I'd be less keen to do all that, I think, or I'd feel like I wouldn't have seen results as quickly. And so I think when you're not seeing results relatively quickly because human beings are pretty impatient, I think it's difficult to consistently keep working at it. And Mm. so I think having seen results, it makes it easier to be stay motivated to keep going, which is, you know, the biggest part with exercise and diet. It's all well and good to do these things short term and maybe get a little bit of progress or get none and get unmotivated and stop. But being able to do it consistently is uh, really important and it's where you get the best results. It really is. And I didn't think you had an issue, but I'm just going to mention something personal. Can I mention it? Sure. You know how I like to air your laundry in public constantly. So I like to air my own in public constantly. So it's not like it's just one-sided. I just don't have a filter. Well, at least I'm here to give you the all clear this time. That's true. So when I first met you, even though you were quite thin and I did love you into obesity, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I was in a dark place when we first met, as you know if you listen to episode 36. 
I was mostly being around you when you were pregnant and eating all the time with Iggy. That was yeah, where things went I d- really bad. I did bad. fall off the wagon when I was pregnant with Iggy and just ate fiendishly amounts of food. I was eating for two, even though I mm. realised later that you don't need to do that. But it just felt like a good excuse to eat. Well, I was eating for two and I didn't have an extra person growing <laughs> inside me. <laughs> you really did. Um, but when we first met, you were thin and you were always worried, talking about the man boobs that you felt like you, you kept from childhood when you were an obese child. Yeah. And you were always talking about it. Well, not always talking about it, but I knew it was a self point of self a part of you that you were really self-conscious about, yes. Yeah. And so now, like now I think I've never found, I never really noticed your man breasts that you were you were so worried about personally because I'm just besotted with your eyes and face and you as a human. But there's a, such a noticeable difference since you have, first of all, lost you know, 13 kilos, essentially, and been working out. Like, now you've got, like, super sexy pecs, which is hot <laughs> for the ladies. But how did that, does that, for your confidence, because this is, it It has such a ripple effect for people in general because it doesn't just do the thing that you're after. It's like, it doesn't just, if it just helped me with my MS, like I always say, if it just helped me with my MS, that would be great. But it also helped me with, chronic constipation, candida, fatigue, brain fog, depression. It helped me with lack of motivation. It helped me with fibromyalgia, chronic pain. Like there was just the ripple effect that I didn't, that I didn't factor in when I started has been tremendous. And every guest on the show has a, a huge ripple effect that it helped them with their fertility or it helped them with their polycystic ovaries or it helped them with their energy or made them into an athlete or whatever. And I think that so- small things like that you now, I imagine, have much more body confidence because your body looks looks and feels better for you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I think it really does. Even just buying clothes, I've always had difficulty buying clothes just from being a bit overweight in sort of maybe less conventional ways at least where the fat was stored on my body. And so I'd often find it difficult to find clothes that fit me properly. Like things were either too small or too big and finding that middle, that thing that fit me perfectly was really difficult. But in the last sort of six, seven months, I've bought some new clothes for the first time in a while and found it much easier to find things that fit me, which was just nice and just made shopping that much easier and less depressing when most things I tried on that were the appropriate size actually fit me correctly or how they should. And now you have that yellow jumper, which I'm in love with and can't <laughs> stop staring at you. Um, you have to wear that every day for the rest of your life. I know. I'm going to buy a second one. <laughs> Thanks. Now, off topic from your transformation, because it's still going and I'm thinking it so far, I think it's going really well. And one of the – well, back on to for one second. One of the things that you said helped you with your transition was that I – technically brainwashed you by making you edit this podcast so you've listened to 83 episodes with people transforming their health from the inside out with a whole food plant-based diet was there any looking back 
can you, is there anything that you like that was a standout wow moment for me in my own journey from the podcast? No, not particularly. Rude. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I don't think there was one particular one, but I think having story after story of individual success counterpointed with doctors speaking about the science behind it, I think that definitely helped a lot to make me feel more confident in committing to this way of doing things. Like, obviously, you can stop doing things at any time, but I think having a sense of trust or a feeling of safety in launching into something like this is important. And so I think maybe if I hadn't had those experiences listening to those people speak, maybe I wouldn't have been as okay with committing to it, even in the short term the short term that I initially did before it escalated into now 14 months. So what you're saying is you'd recommend everyone who's listening with a non-vegan spouse to just play these episodes non-stop around the house until their partner osmosis is into a vegan. Well, I definitely don't think it would hurt. <laughs> Maybe not 24 hours a day. but <laughs> There's plenty of other great, great whole food plant-based podcasts out there, which I will endeavour to list um, in the show notes. If you have your favourites, please comment in the show notes so that everyone else can listen because there are some really, really good ones, like The Exam Room. I like that. Obviously, I love the Andrew Andrew Taylor's podcast. There are heaps. List your favourite ones in the comments and I'll share a big list of them in the show notes so that you can check them all out. Yes, what I wanted to ask you, as the head chef in our house, Mm -hmm. and a great one at that, Some of my favourites, anytime you make Mexican, it's amazing. Very much like your Indian, it's also amazing. I also, I'm not a pasta fan. I think it's the worst and wish no one would ever inflict it on me ever. Even though I love the taste of it, it just makes me always feel gross. So there's just no point. Um, The tastes are great. I like lasagna, but it's just long term, not a good digestive meal for me. I'm a spud type of gal, but you're feeding kids too fussy, a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, both the typical nightmare when it comes to fussy eating, even though they love broccoli and they love things that lots of other kids may not love, they're still difficult because one day they love it, the next day they don't want to see it again. Sushi's always a hit, which is my... When, when I get any kind of love and recognition from the family and rice paper rolls. But no one loves my Buddha bowls and that's what I want to eat constantly. So, Renji, what's your three best nail-it meals that the kids always love that people can, at home should give a try to? Well, pasta, if you can use whole, whole wheat pasta, which unfortunately not all whole wheat pastas are created equally. So I think even if you've maybe tried whole wheat pasta and been pretty underwhelmed by it, it's worth trying some different brands because I've got one that I use, which I can't remember the name of at the moment off the top of my head. We'll try and put it in the show notes. So I'm just going to write a note. Go. Whereas I've then thinking that I'm, I've come around to whole wheat pasta, then got a different brand and tried that, and it's been absolutely disgusting and almost inedible. So, 
it's worth experimenting with different brands. But pasta, I think nine times out of ten, if as long as the sauce is somewhat edible, kids will be pretty okay with going towards that. And I guess the e- the more integrated, more easily integrated the sauce is with the pasta, the easier it is for kids to eat that part as well, because that's obviously the more nutritionally sound part of the meal. Uh, mm. So pasta, I think. Anything involving potatoes is generally pretty good most of the time. We make lots of chips, but just oven-fried, oven-baked, I mean, no oil chips that look like sad chips, but kids don't care. Yeah, and you can put all sorts of things on top of them or with them to make it more interesting. Mm. Uh, Herbs and spices, you mean? Well, and other vegetables and sauces and beans and things like that. Hummus and dips and guac and stuff. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess the making Mexican food uh, with corn tortillas and beans and guacamole and lettuce and things like. So I guess soft shell tacos. I'm Mm. weirdly describing what is essentially (laughs) soft shell tacos. Kids seem to like those pretty consistently. Mm. What a! You make a mean muffin as well that the kids like. With with tell them about your delicious muffin that the kids are slamming at the moment. It's a recipe from T. Colin Campbell's website that I've modified a little bit, uh, which is mostly with oats and whole wheat flour. And I've added, well, he's supposed to use banana, it's, uh, bananas, but I've also started adding a, on a banana and apple, I guess, as the sweetener and maybe to provide some extra fibre, but I've started adding zucchini and kale and some cacao and the kids are really enjoying them, which is shocking. They don't look green, honestly. No. Which is surprising that, with the amount of kale. That's Yeah, that's where the cacao comes in to make it <laughs> look a bit browner than what These it probably should chocolate. be. These are chocolate. Yeah, so I guess they have a reasonably strong chocolate taste, but all the vegetables are pretty indistinguishable, which is nice. Which is such a great way to get greens into kids. Well, mm. I mean, if you can get them in... Just whole, perfect. But if you struggle straight and it's hard to get them in some days, they're such great things to have on hand. Yeah, definitely. They feel like they're getting a crazy fun treat, but really it's just kale and (laughs) zucchini. (laughs) It's so true. Okay, so the last thing, I'm just going to cut to the chase because we've already been going for 50 minutes and I know that you're the one editing and... I want to give you an easy job. It's not going to be, but... We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I want you to tell your top three tips. Uh, I think maybe making the change gradually. I don't think I would have been able to do it from the height of my omnivoreness to going whole food, plant-based, no oil. I think that would just never have happened, but the transition is slow and gradual as it was, I think made it easier to do. And so maybe if you can only make incremental steps going a little bit that way is still better than not going any part of the way. Mm. So maybe that's that's tip one is to go slowly if that's what's going to work for you. Some people are amazing and can just make the switch overnight and that's great too. But if you... They're the exceptions most of the time. I they, think I so. I think that they're the rule. 
Yeah, so... I, I wish that they were, but they're not. Mm, so I think making a gradual change would be tip number one. Mm-hmm. I think tip number two would be to make sure that you know how to cook and that you know what you like and that you know have the resources, even if it's just Google, to go and find ways to make food that you like that fits within this model of whole food plant-based because I think having some critical awareness when scouring the internet for recipes is important because there's a lot of pretty average recipes for things out there that if you just made that one as is, you'd probably be pretty underwhelmed. But if you take the time, which is what I do quite a lot to look at several recipes for something, if I'm trying to make something that maybe is somewhat related to something that usually has meat in it, like ramen, for instance, I really like Japanese noodle soups called ramen that are traditionally made with a pork bone soup base. Uh, And you find on the internet there's a lot of vegan ramen recipes that are virtually just vegetable broth maybe with a bit of soy sauce in them. And when you compare that to a pork bone broth that's been cooking for a week, the complexity and depth of flavour is just not there. And so I think you need to put some F if you're trying to replace things or fill in gaps of things that you maybe liked when you were not vegan – with recipes that are vegan, it's worth taking the time to have a look around and maybe put some, uh, conjoin some recipes together and not just go on the first thing that you find. Do you think that that's just a matter of trial and error a bit? Because lots of people aren't going to have the time to be scouring lots of different recipe places or learning to cook. So they just have to keep making stuff until they figure it out that maybe, because lots of things have way too much or too little sweetener in them or too little seasoning in them or too little and you're just like this is flavorless bland ugh food but you have to play you have to learn on your own journey if you're not a good cook it's the okay i need to taste this as i'm going to make sure it tastes like like food that i want to eat and that i need to make this better rather than giving up don't just make the first recipe the first vegan ramen with soy sauce and go this is horrendous i'm going back to eating pork ramen just keep going until you find ways to make it taste good for you yeah it's never going to taste like the original but it's going to it can you can make it taste pretty good if you just ask the right questions or or play around with recipes enough yeah and i think if you have an awareness of what does and doesn't make flavour and what flavours you like and how to best maximise those. So I don't know, maybe my second tip would be to make sure you know how to cook or you're living with people who know how to cook because the traditional Western way of eating is very flavour-laden and a lot of that comes from the interactions between fats and sugars and salts and then with actual flavouring. And so once you take those fats and salts and the proteins out, it can be a bit difficult for people to figure out how to navigate flavour, but if you know what you're doing, it's not so hard. Or you can just eat spuds like Andrew Taylor does, (laughs) simplify everything. (laughs) Well, that's true. I think also it's eating this way has simplified my cooking as well. I think it's Mm. simplified my 
taste buds in a really positive way and so that I'm not I'm much happier eating much simpler food that makes me feel good and is quick and easy to make too. Mm, true. And your third and last top tip? To be patient and forgiving of yourself and aim for consistency. That's kind of three, but I think they're all yeah. kind of one. But yeah. if you... You need to be consistent and sometimes consistency doesn't always mean being 100% there. And so aiming for that consistency where possible will mean that it's better than trying for 100% and maybe only making it 90% of the time and then just giving up because you're not getting there 100% of the time. Like I still have days where I eat too much fat or I have oil if I'm out of the house and I'm just lazy and apathetic about it. But I then make sure that I eat better the next day mm. as opposed to just thinking, oh, well, I've blown it today. What's the point? Mm. So I think it's important just to strive for consistency but not beat yourself up. If you're not at 100%, consistency can still mean getting there most of the time but not all the time. And I think once you do, once you are... Eating consistently well, it makes it so much easier to continue eating well because you notice the difference. Mm. And when you notice the difference and you know how your body feels when it eats certain things and when it eats other things, it's so much easier to keep you eating the right way. Absolutely. And I've said it and everyone's on this show has pretty much said it as well, that the cleaner you go with your food the more you start noticing, noticing when you feel bloated, noticing when you feel tired, noticing when you eat too much fat and you get that brain fog back almost immediately. You just start noticing your digestion isn't as good, you're constipated or you're the other way around, you've got diarrhea or whatever. Like you just start to notice, which I didn't for so much of my life. And now I notice and I'm just like, I know when I have pasta, for instance, that I just feel heavy. Even if it's whole wheat pasta, I just don't feel – like I feel much better than when I was eating regular pasta, but, I mean, it just doesn't digest as much as potato just does. You know, if I'm going to have a carb, I'd rather have brown rice or a potato. Like that type of carb, that, you know, when I want that type of deliciousness, I prefer it to be a carbohydrate that, you know, even like a beautiful piece of pumpkin – than pasta for me but that took a long time I, I always just loved pasta and ate pasta thinking it was just delicious lasagna-y gooey soft goodness in my mouth and now I just think oh god I just I'm just not going to feel good so what's the point it was so nice having you on the show I love you and seeing you thrive your happiness is my happiness as I always say and you have once again if you listen to episode 36 you'll know that I was a human trash person and very in a dark place when Ranjit and I first met and I was definitely depressed because my brother had just died like eight months earlier and I had just pretty much recently been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis maybe a year and a half prior to meeting Ranjit and I was obese and unhappy and full of self-loathing and I didn't understand why anyone would want to be with someone who could potentially very likely end up 
in a very similar situation as my own brother did, just slowly wasting away physically until they died. And I just thought you would have to be unhinged to want to endure that. So, yeah, I did push you away a lot, but you have just loved me over and over and over again throughout all of the incarnations of me as a as a woman and as a human and I'm so grateful that you support me in this podcast and that you support me in life and that you keep challenging me when I'm behaving like a total dirt head and that you keep loving me in spite of the fact that I can behave like an absolute dirt head. Thank you and thank you for just being a shining light and showing our kids what's possible, being an incredible role model, changing your diet and changing and just changing because most people don't want to do that at all. But we're here to change and I'm looking forward to continuing to change and be new, better versions of ourselves every single day until we die. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh on that note. It's an inane laugh that guests hate. But yeah, I'm, I love you and thank you for being a great dad and human. I love you and thanks for being a great wife and mother. <laughs> love you. I love you. Okay, everyone, that's the end. I'm just going to quickly, while we're still recording, just say that if you haven't yet subscribed, I'll put out new episodes every Monday slash Tuesday. And you can listen to them on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher app for Android. You can join me over in my group, Plant Based and Thriving, on Facebook to learn more and hang out with me more just in between podcasts. Uh, you can join me for my 28-day challenge, which you can find on the website. It's a conscious eating program. If you want more support one-on-one, -on -one, that's a great place to start. It's just a nice is an ebook, is a group, Facebook group, all those things. You get week daily emails throughout that challenge, and it's just really fun um, way to start having a trial of whole food, plant based life, conscious eating, as I like to call it, because it is it's, it's it is a conscious way of eating for the planet, for the animals, and for your health. And it's just about learning, as Ranjit said, to take it as your at your own pace, do it as best as you can, and love yourself as you go. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram at Corinne Ninja. You can find me at Twitter at Corinne Ninja. You can find me on Facebook at Corinne Ninja. And if you want to support this podcast. To reach more people, I would absolutely love it if you could head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a friendly review because every review helps more people to find this podcast and more people to hear these incredible stories from all the guests that have been on this show up until now. And last but not least, if you have the time and the inclination and you want to share this episode with your family and friends over dinner, over the drinking fountain at work, that would make such a difference to maybe their lives or you never know whose life you're going to touch. So that would be awesome as well. Thank you so much again for listening and for all your support and I will see you next week. Bye.